Mosaic Community. Let us pray together. God, source of all light, by your word you give light to the soul. Pour out on us the spirit of wisdom and understanding that our hearts and minds may be opened. Amen. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open. Search and know our thoughts and anxious fears. Watch us in the fountain of your mercy. Come with your light, we cannot hide from you. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open. With gratitude we raise our song to you.
Good morning, Mosaic Church. It is a privilege to be with you again this morning. Uh, my name is Keith Wilburn. I'm a pastor at Hopewell United Methodist Church, executive director of a Christian ministry called Coatesville Kids to College, and adjunct professor at Missio Seminary. And most importantly, a dear, dear friend of uh, Pastor Angel Halstead's. And so while she's away, she asked me if I would share um, just some thoughts with you in her absence um, on just what's been happening uh, in our country over the last month, over the last months, uh, over the last years, and uh, to get a different perspective, to get a, a white male perspective to uh, some of the rioting, to some of the political uh, responses to, uh, yeah, some of the events that have been happening. And so I'm happy to be here, happy to share. And, uh, what I share might not be new to you, but hopefully, uh, Mosaic, you'll find it as, uh, an encouragement as we, uh, as Christians navigate this world, uh, together, this season of American history together. Uh, we need each other for strength and, and support. So let me pray for our time. And then I'd love to just uh, share some thoughts, some reflections uh, with you, with the hope that God will, will use it to encourage, to strengthen, to edify. Uh, good and gracious God, we give you all glory, honor, and praise uh, this day. Uh, we just ask for your continued uh, guidance your continued strength, your continued peace, your continued courage in the midst of uh, some challenging times. I pray this morning that you would uh, just be with us through the presence, the power of your spirit, that you would open our minds and hearts to receive from you um, what you would have for us, that each person is coming with different needs, coming from different places, and we're just so thankful that uh, you are an intimate, loving God who knows our needs, knows us intimately, and wants to uh, to meet us in a very personal uh, way. So we just ask uh, for you to work, have your way in this space. In your name we pray. Amen. So as I said, um, you know, Angel asked me to share some thoughts, and I think... You know, I imagine like all of you, um, this past year certainly um, has been uh, traumatic at different levels and it's going to, people are going to have different experiences. Um, but certainly with political tension, with uh, racial tension, with um, the pandemic and all that that brings up, uh, there's certainly a lot that uh, we've all had to deal with. Um, and but for me in this past month, certainly one of the things that has um, yeah been been traumatic on a certain level is just the assault on the Capitol, the assault on our democracy, and um, for me tied into that is uh, the racist elements, but also uh, the religious elements, um, and it's something that I'm still wrestling with and trying to understand better, uh, as well as trying to understand my personal response. Um, but in the New York Times recently, there was an article 
uh, how white evangelical Christians fused with Trump extremism. And this article does a great job um, articulating how evangelical Christians uh, have been uh, wrapped up with elements of white supremacy, have been wrapped up with elements of uh, political extremism, and were very much a part of the violence that took place on the Capitol and the assault on uh, our democracy, the attempt to disrupt the election uh, process. And so uh, as someone who for a number of years identified myself as uh, an evangelical, and certainly I'm white, so uh, would fit that category for a number of years, a white evangelical, um, to see this kind of culmination of that tradition lead to violence, lead to uh, racism, lead to um, this kind of uh, nationalism. Uh, certainly disturbing and certainly something that I've been wrestling with. And just to give a context, I want to read just the first few paragraphs of this article just to paint a picture and we'll show some photographs as I'm reading of how this uh, Christian imagery was fused with this uh, violent assault on our capital. Uh, the article reads, before self-proclaimed members of the far-right group, the Proud Boys, marched toward the U.S. Capitol on Wednesday, they stopped to kneel in the street and prayed in the name of Jesus. The group whose participants have espoused misogynistic and anti-immigrant views prayed for God to bring revival and renewal. They gave thanks for the wonderful nation we've all been blessed to be in. They asked God for the restoration of their value systems and for the courage and strength to both represent you and represent our culture well. And they invoked the divine protection for what was to come. Then they rose, their leader declared into a bullhorn that the media must, quote, get the hell out of my way, end quote, and they moved toward the capital. The presence of Christian rituals, symbols, and language was unmistakable on Wednesday in Washington. There was a mock campaign banner, Jesus 2020, in blue and red, an armor of God patch on a man's fatigues, a white cross declaring, quote, Trump won, end quote, in all capitals. All of this was interspersed with allusions to QAnon conspiracy theories, Confederate flags, and anti-Semitic t-shirts. The blend of cultural references and the people who brought them made clear a phenomenon that has been brewing for years now that the most extreme corners of support for Mr. Trump have become inextricable from some parts of white evangelical power in America. Rather than completely separate strands of support, these groups have become increasingly blended together. And so we see this violent movement, right, on the Capitol and inter interspersed um, in this mob are Christian symbols, are people praying while at the same time making statements about white nationalism, uh, anti-Semitism, there were swastikas and, and references to Auschwitz 
in the crowd, Confederate flags. And so uh, it's heartbreaking. It's, it's disgusting to me to see our faith, our faith in Jesus, which should be about uh, restoration, reconciliation, should be about uh, the peaceable transformation of this world so that all are treated equally, that all have uh, all that they need. To see this movement of uh, white supremacy, uh, of uh, political uh, militant nationalism, fuse with Christianity, with, with what I call my faith, uh, is extremely disturbing. And I've, I've heard people wrestle with this, um, this reality, right? That we has been brewing, as the article says, and many of us have been aware of it. But to see it culminate at the Capitol in such a violent act. Um, and I grieve too, because for a lot of the world, this is what they're seeing of, of Christianity. Uh, this is what they're seeing of, uh, of an evangelical faith. And, um, and that should break all of our, all of our hearts. Um, and it should break our hearts, uh, that, um, so many people are being misled in this way. But as people ask the question, how could this possibly happen? Or how did our country get to this place of division? Um, as I've wrestled with that, uh, I have been teaching and explaining and talking to people about the fact that um, our country has always been this way. And there has always been a Christian evangelicalism that has fused um, white supremacy, uh, white nationalism, uh, violent suppression of the other. Uh, from the roots, from the very foundation of our country, uh, this has existed. I want to put this map up for you. And as you take a look at this map of the United States, you see the red area. And, you know, as you look at this, you might think, you know, I don't know what would come to mind for you first. But for me, when I look at this, I think this must be a map of the slave states. Um, this must be a map of the political south or... Uh, a map of uh, the Confederacy. And uh, while that is true, um, majority of these states were a part of slave-owning states. Uh, that's not what this map is. This map is what comes up when you Google uh, the Bible Belt. When you Google that, uh, that phrase, that term that I think is very familiar in America, of what's called the Bible Belt that a lot of people refer to as the part of the country that is uh, reads their Bible the most, that proclaims Jesus the most, that is most driven by biblical teaching and by their faith in Jesus. And uh, I think the irony here is that uh, the same map that shows what is supposedly the most Christian part of our nation also equally shows the part of our nation that most uh, blatantly and brutally uh, enslaved uh, human beings and enslaved them in a system of brutality, of rape, of torture, of uh, separation and destruction of families. 
and then uh, was willing to fight uh, a bloody battle, the Civil War, in order to preserve the ability to continue to abuse uh, their fellow human beings. And when they lost, it's the same region that then instituted the Jim Crow laws. It's the same region that then um, instituted violent means of suppressing the vote, like lynchings and bulldozing of black communities. It's that same part of the country that uh, blatantly and boldly um, resisted the civil rights movement with violence. And so when we look at America, right, and we say, the Bible Belt is the same place that perpetrated uh, some of the most uh, horrific crimes in a human history. Uh, we have a problem, right? I mean, why? How? How does that not? How are we so easily able to say, "Oh, that's the Bible Belt. That's a religious community. That's." where Christianity is strongest, and also in the same breath say that's the place that um, was responsible for uh, the death of at least 8 million and uh, the brutalization of millions more over the course of hundreds of years. And so from the beginning, uh, Mosaic, our country has um, had uh, the Christianity that has been developed in this country at least in parts of the country. Um, and I will say that at the same time that uh, Christian America was enslaving uh, the movement against the abolitionist movement, uh, the civil rights movement, they have also been church-led uh, movements. So there is a Christianity in our country that is more diverse, that has strong roots in the black community that has uh, pressed against and so Christianity has taken multiple forms, but just going back to when we associate is the most religious part of the country, the Bible Belt. Um, how do we justify that that is the most Christian part where they've committed the greatest atrocities? But from the beginning, right, white evangelicalism, white Christianity has been fused with uh, racism has been fused with uh, white nationalism, has been fused with the uh, acceptable use of violence in order to gain power and subjugate those who threaten that power. That is our history, and that is the history of American white evangelicalism. And so our theologians and people in that part of the country who've influenced so much of uh, theology in this country, um, in order to justify all of the this violence and atrocities, they have created a theology, um, and I'm going to oversimplify, but they had to create a theology that um, talked about the salvation of humanity while also justifying slavery of humanity. And so it created this um, distorted uh, Christian view that focuses on the spiritual, that focuses on uh, our salvation is purely spiritual, that our faith in Jesus does not affect circumstances on this earth, 
but it's about saying a phrase, I believe in Jesus. It's about then securing your place in heaven. And with that secured, um, you then are in eternal paradise. And the other things that you do on this earth become irrelevant. And even in the subjugating of slaves, uh, dehumanizing, right? Calling humans um, not human, but also uh, kind of creating a promise of uh, eternal salvation, but that salvation does not affect um, our lives now, that we don't need to be involved in the work of justice, that we don't need to be involved in the work of equity, that um, these are, Christianity is about spiritual, uh, is about spiritual uh, transformation and not here and now in the physical. And this theology was created so that people could own and possess slaves, so that they could uh, enrich uh, their pockets uh, while others worked for free so that they could maintain their superiority, the privilege of power that they had. And so we need to reconcile, we need to wrestle with Mosaic, the fact that we live in a country whose uh, proclaimed Christian center is the center of slavery, is the center of racial oppression historically, and that our theology has grown out of that um, and so we have, as a country, always had this distorted uh, Christian theology that's not the only theology, it's not the only expression of faith, but it is one that has dominated uh, our landscape and that oftentimes people associate with Christianity. And so... Uh, what we see this month, what we saw at the Capitol, what we've been seeing these past years is simply America being America and white evangelicals being white evangelicals. Of course, there's exceptions, but uh, in general, there is um, and it's, it continues to happen because of where it's grown from, where it's been birthed from. And so for me, I wrestle with as someone who, you know, has recently dropped the title. I don't refer to myself as an evangelical anymore. Um, I used to refer to myself as a progressive evangelical, but I'm just uncomfortable with that word and what it's become. Uh, but it causes, you know, me to wrestle with well, what is my faith then and, but more importantly, knowing my faith, what is my responsibility as a white American Christian uh, to in a, uh, a community, a culture where I believe the gospel has been uh, misrepresented uh, dangerously, um, has been distorted uh, horrifically for so long, uh, how what is my role? How do I press back against and present a gospel that is about uh, equity, that is about racial reconciliation, that is about the restoration of our relationship with God, but equally um, the Holy Spirit drives us to heal relationships across socioeconomic, across uh, ethnic and racial and national 
uh, boundaries and barriers to um, create right the kingdom here on earth where there's no place for violence where there's no place for supremacy where there's no place for racism where there's no place for um, any of these things and so uh, you know <clears throat> where I look um, and certainly where I want to draw us today is an example of Paul because Paul in the early church, and it doesn't give me comfort that the early church uh, had division so quickly, um, but it gives me comfort in the sense that this is not a new uh, issue, that this is something that we can share with our brothers and sisters who uh, started early on in this journey of uh, Christianity and proclaiming Jesus's message to and, and truth to the world in the very beginning. But um, I want to look at Galatians 2, chapters 11 through 14, a brief passage uh, to give us, hopefully, some encouragement, some guidance, some strength, um, as all of us are faced with um, being Christians, being American Christians in a uh, environment where they're the predominant Christian expression, at least in the media, at least politically, uh, is something that is so dangerous and so distorted. And so I'll read this from Galatians 2, 11 to 14, and just share a few thoughts. But when Cephas came to Antioch, and Mosaic Cephas, as we know, is Peter, right? So when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood self-condemned. For until certain people came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But after they came, he drew back and kept himself separate for fear of the circumcision faction. And the other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not acting consistently with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, I said to Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? An incredible scene here where we have Peter, um, who some would say was Jesus's closest um, disciple, if you remember in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus proclaims to Peter that I am going to, you're the rock, right? The Cephas, you're the rock that I'm going to build my church on. He promises to give Peter the keys to the kingdom of, of heaven, that what the church um, allows on earth will be allowed in heaven, gives Peter this charge, this call, this great power, this position where he is going to be the foundation of the church. And so here we see this radical um, uh, event where Paul, who did not walk physically with Jesus, who was not uh, the the foundation of the church, uh, challenges challenges Peter publicly, and he does this because he sees that Peter's theology, that his Christian theology is corrupted, which is an incredible statement, right? That this idea that Peter, uh, the one whom Christ is proclaimed was going to build the church on, Paul is saying, your theology has been corrupted. 
your theology, your expression of Christianity is not uh, truth, is not right. Um, and he does this publicly. And so to understand what's happening here is, you know, Peter was Jewish. Uh, Peter was centered in Jerusalem and helped build up the first Christian churches, which were converting the Jewish people. And uh, as Peter was visiting some of the Gentile churches that Paul had founded, um, he was uh, willing to sit with those Gentiles, people from different ethnicities, different cultures, who had, uh, who were not Jewish, who had not been circumcised, who did not follow the cleansing rituals and all of the different rules and laws of Judaism. When Peter came, he was willing to sit and treat those Gentiles, those people of different uh, backgrounds, ethnicities, races, nationalities as equals. But as soon as other uh, Jews from Jerusalem showed up, uh, he stopped eating with them and he withdrew and he started treating them as lesser than because there was a big debate on whether Gentiles could be equal in the kingdom of God if they were not circumcised, if they did not follow the Jewish laws. And so Peter, on one hand, when no one from his group is around, he's willing to talk and, and act as an equal and treat people respectfully. But as soon as other Jews from Jerusalem come, who he knows are going to have an issue with him eating with uncircumcised people, with him eating with people who are not Jewish, he withdraws, right? And so he acts one way. Uh, when they're not around, but out of fear of their judgment, of what they're going to say, how they're going to treat him, maybe even potentially him losing power, he starts treating them differently. And Paul witnesses this. Paul witnesses Peter act one way with the Gentiles alone, and then another way when uh, this powerful group comes. And uh, Paul is disgusted. Paul is absolutely disgusted that Peter... Uh, would treat the men and women that he would treat as equals one minute suddenly in the presence of these other people um, would treat them as lesser than. One of the things I want to bring up before I move on, Mosaic, is that um, it's fascinating to me, right, that uh, Paul, <laughs> uh, who's not mentioned in the four Gospels, who's not around, uh, he writes 13 books in our New Testament. Peter only writes two. And to me, this this is shocking. And if we really think about it, it should be for you as well. This idea that Peter, who was going to be the foundation of the church, who was closest to Jesus, who was ready to fight, that out of the book of, you know, early on in the book of Acts, Peter pretty much disappears. And his influence on the New Testament, aside from his uh, lived experience in the Gospels, um, but his continued influence in the rest of the New Testament is minimal. It's Paul. It's Paul who has the greatest influence in his writings. Paul who writes 13 books, while Peter only writes two, two tiny letters. And if we look at the New Testament, a majority of it is Paul's writings. And I think, church, that despite Peter being set up to be in this position of, of, of power and to be the one to lead the church, I think he uh, loses that status and he loses it to Paul. Despite Jesus' kind of anointing of Peter as you are going to be the one, it's, it's Paul 
that ends up being the one that is kind of the hero theologically of the New Testament. And I think, church, it's because Peter got stuck. He got stuck in this uh, mutated uh, Christianity, this uh, Christianity that uh, uh, could not let go of the culture that he grew up in. And we know that Peter was challenged uh, when he was told to go to the house of Cornelius and the sheep came down with the animals and God continually told Peter, all people are clean. All people are to be treated equal. The gospel is not um, frees you from the Jewish law. All people are your brothers and sisters. And Peter had a hard time letting go of what of the Christianity that he had been taught in his Jewish, his Jewish culture, which taught him that he uh, was a specific person of God superior to the rest of humanity. And so Peter uh, found himself compromising. And look, I wonder how often, and I'll say this to my white brothers and sisters, but, but to all of us, how often do we find ourselves compromising the message of Christ, the true message of Christ, when we're in the company of other Christians who have some of these uh, harsh negative views, views maybe about uh, homosexuals or about um, who are supporting this political violence or who are, um, even if they're not white nationalists, are comfortable with a president who is racist or who are comfortable being around other Christians who um, are fine supporting um, people who are clearly actively um yeah, a, a part of this um, kind of uh, distorted Christianity where it's okay if people are treated differently. It's okay to diminish uh, immigrants. It's okay to uh, deny systemic uh, racism. It's okay to um, be against uh, Black Lives Matter and the call for equity in our nation, that it's okay to... Um, to support uh, a, a president who is uh, seeking uh, power through uh, physical violence and aggression. Um, you know, do we find ourselves saying, well, but they believe in Jesus. And so because they believe in Jesus and proclaim Christ, then the goal is to be uh, unity and I should just get along. Paul could have taken that stance with Peter, but he saw that Peter's theology, that Peter's gospel was so dangerous, was so harmful, not to the Jews. And, and look, Paul was a Jew. He could have said, Peter, I agree. Paul could have agreed with Peter and taken a seat of superiority over the people he was ministering to. But he realized that the theology, he realized the Christianity that Peter was teaching was destructive, was anti-Christ because it was pitting one group of people over another. And it was requiring certain rituals and, and practices specific to one culture, one ethnic group, and putting those uh, cultural um, aspects as somehow godly and somehow superior than the other cultures that uh, they were encountering. And Paul didn't just kind of smile and say, okay, well, that's Peter and that's those Christians. And so we're just going to kind of let that go or, oh, that's Peter. And he was with Christ and Christ anointed him the, 
the the foundation of the church and gave him the keys to the kingdom. So I shouldn't say anything. Paul didn't say, well, how is this going to affect my reputation? Paul saw that this gospel of Peter's was dangerous, was dangerous to the Gentiles, was not the true gospel and was not what Christ came to preach. And Paul spoke out. He spoke out. He put it on the line. He risked his reputation. He risked uh, his political power within the church. He risked uh, being condemned by, uh, you know, these powerful uh, religious leaders, even being maybe uh, decried and kicked out of, of his Jewish, um, you know, uh, background um, because he saw that this gospel was dangerous that it had been unhealthily mixed with a culture uh, that was not um, the kingdom of God. In the same way, this white evangelicalism has been mixed with a sordid culture that um, from the beginning has justified and allowed oppression, abuse, uh, uh, and multiple levels of sin against people of color, against women, um, against all, all sorts of, um, all sorts of people who are not white male. And so, uh, Paul is our model, is my model of it's not enough to just put our heads down and just do the work. Um, when we're in, uh, our, you know, multi-ethnic communities or when we're in our specific church. And then when we're outside hearing Christian friends with their different opinions, just kind of say, well, we're all Christians. Um, we all believe in Christ. So that's how you believe. That's how I believe. I'm not saying that it's our responsibility to condemn or judge or tell people they're not Christian. It is our responsibility, though. It's it's Paul's responsibility as a bringer of the gospel, though, to challenge false theology, to challenge theologies, Christianities uh, that are mixed with um, uh, sexism, that are mixed with homophobia, that are mixed with certainly racism, that are mixed with any sense of of violence or or so tightly wrapped around uh, politics that we're willing to overlook um, multiple deficits in an, in an attempt to to get power or or any sort of nationalism that um, puts America above other countries. Any Christianity that we see and hear, we have a responsibility not just to to say God bless you or ignore it, but we have a responsibility to challenge it. The voice. You know, the newspaper is writing about white evangelicalism and they need to be writing about us. They need to be writing about those people who are committed to uh, racial reconciliation, to cross racial uh, ministries of equity, of that promote equity of women and men, that promote uh, the, the radical love of, uh, of, of the other, of the poor, of the dispossessed, of the weak, of... This is the Christianity that needs to be front page. And uh, we have a responsibility to live that way and pursue Christ, but we have a responsibility to, to speak out. And we have a responsibility not just to get along 
um, or be silent so that we're not to judge or to avoid conflict or to preserve maybe friendships we've had from childhood or preserve family relationships by um, allowing or agreeing to things or being silent on things because uh, we don't want to cause disruption. These things need to be challenged. They need to be lovingly challenged, but they need to be firmly challenged that this is not okay, that this is not Christ, that this will hurt people, this is detrimental to people, uh, that, um, and then take a stand and be willing, like Paul was willing. Paul was willing to lose reputation, to lose power, to lose respect of this group of people because the gospel was more important and the Gentiles that he was ministering to, if they saw him cower, if they saw him change, if they saw him uh, not stand up for them, the gospel would be nothing. It would be words with no truth, with no power. And so Mosaic, uh, you are doing a beautiful thing in your church. You have uh, the antidote to this white uh, evangelicalism that has uh, permeated our culture, our society for so long, that has, uh, that has a history of segregation, that has uh, a history of misogyny, that has a history of being anti-homophobic, that has a history of using violence to maintain privilege and power, that has a history of of proclaiming a false truth, you are the antidote um, in what you're doing and what you're striving for. And look, like Paul, um, he can feel small. Uh, the the Jewish church and with with Peter and James, the brother of Jesus, was a powerful religious force. Uh, Peter was on the fringes, but it's his gospel, uh, it's his message, it's his legacy that um, that was carried on. Um, he became front and center because he embraced the true gospel and he challenged those uh, who were holding on uh, to um, to this this mix. And so I want to encourage all and so I want to encourage all of you, all of us just to continue uh, to be striving for this gospel that we so love uh, this Jesus, who is a beautiful representation of, uh, of what humanity uh, can and should be, uh, love for all, acceptance of all, um, empowering all, seeking out those who are lost and isolated and wounded and, and hungry and oppressed and and ensuring that they are liberated and bringing them into the fold so that they can experience a true loving community in a seat of equity where they're never looked down upon, where we're never looking down upon uh, uh, one or another. And we're doing it through, uh, through love. We're doing it through uh, persistence and power, but power that comes from uh, that comes from love, that comes from pursuing equity and justice and uh, provision for all. Um, but I want to encourage us too, we, uh, to, that we need to continue to be speaking out, that uh, this uh, evangelicalism is allowed to thrive and continue to thrive in our communities, in our nation, uh, because there are not enough uh, voices of courage 
There are not enough uh, white voices in particular that are willing to speak out and challenge this white evangelicalism, that are not willing to, to call it what it is. Um, and again, not to denigrate people, but challenge this theology and call it what it is, that this is not uh, a full gospel, that this is not the true gospel, that this is not the Christ that we follow. This is not the Christ that came to earth. And we need to be having uh, those conversations. There needs to be other voices. And there needs to be those voices when we're alone um, and we <laughs> can potentially lose relationship or privilege or power, uh, that we have the courage, like Paul, to speak up in those situations too. Um, that we are being bold in every situation, that what we say and how we act um, does not change from when certain people are around or other people are around, that we can't be one way in our diverse mosaic community around uh, our brothers and sisters of color and then be in an all-white group and uh, allow certain things to be said or allow certain conversations or certain representations of Christ without uh, challenging that and without um, making it uncomfortable for people. Um, not for the sake of making them uncomfortable, but for the sake of them having to wrestle with um, the truth of Christ. Um, our uh, country <laughs> needs another expression of Christianity. And those churches are out there, and you're one of those churches. Um, and so let's uh, be emboldened. Let's, let's commit to all, um, the whole church, regardless of your ethnicity, your race. Let's, let's be committed to not only continuing to support each other as you have, but to continue to speak truth in your spaces of influence, in your families, in your family systems, in your friend groups, in your businesses and companies you work for, in your spheres that, um, people know that there is, um, another Christianity that is not tied to American nationalism, that is not tied to white supremacy that is not tied to male superiority but that is tied to this beautiful vision of all people all nations cultures races ethnicities being seen as uh, equal under the head of of christ and uh and have to wrestle then with what it means to give up um and, and to take on and to be a part of creating a new culture that honors and respects all. So thank you, Mosaic, for once again welcoming me into your family. Thank you for letting me share. Um, and uh, I hope you found some sort of encouragement, um, maybe challenge, but encouragement from, from what I shared. And let's keep wrestling with this complicated world we live in. Um, let's keep wrestling with our faith. Let's keep giving it to Christ and saying, make my faith. Show me those areas where I've taken on uh, part of this unhealthy American culture. Show me ways in which I've compromised. Show me ways in which what I uh, what I believe is is uh, mostly maybe true and healthy, but where there's unhealth, uh, keep teaching me, Jesus, and let's all keep learning uh, together. So thank you. God bless you all.
Let us pray together. God, source of all light, by your word you give light to the soul. Pour out on us the spirit of wisdom and understanding that our hearts and minds may be opened. Amen.